You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your great idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind. With beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. If you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24 by 7 award-winning customer support is there to help you. Head to squarespace.com improve for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code improve to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, host of this episode, and joining with me at the roundtable is Connor. How you doing, Connor? Doing really well, Jeff. How are you doing, man? Well, I'm recovering. <laughs> I've, been, yeah. I've had a bit of a stomach bug for the last, uh, I don't know, 40 hours or so, and I'm still not on Whole Foods or <laughs> anything. So, <laughs> And the worst part is all of my family, so there's five of us, all five of us, like hit oh. at the same time. And when mom has it, that's when it's really bad. That's, that's well, when things fall yeah, apart. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's I, not good. I was honestly really surprised when you picked up on the call today for the recording. You were actually like, Connor! And I was like, oh man, I was expecting you to sound half dead. Half but, dead, yeah. Uh, sounds like you're on the mend. Yeah, I mean, 40, I probably slept 30 of those 40 hours, so, <laughs> so that's helped a lot, but oh, boy, oh, I can it's, imagine. it's been rough. But we're not yeah, here I'm to sorry, talk about yeah. my stomach issues. We're here to talk about <laughs> photography, our favorite topic. And we got oh, two yeah. sections of the show today. They're very different, so they're not related at all. But we got we got two kind of burning topics I'm, I'm really excited to talk about. The first one is what we want in mirrorless. So we have a lot of a lot of rumors have been swirling around Canon and Nikon with their new mirrorless spottings that are coming kind of in the latter half of 2018. And I wanted I thought this would be a good thing to do. We've talked about sorts of these things before in previous episodes, but I want to kind of refresh it given the the new stuff that's coming up. So I want to talk about what would make the perfect mirrorless camera for you and what features that you're looking for them to have. So Connor, why don't you I want to start with you. What what would you want to see in a mirrorless camera body? You know, the, the biggest thing that I have been longing for would be just something that would work for the glass that I already have. So that, that's something that isn't on anyone's priority list. It seems like everyone has their own proprietary mounts um, for both the, the, for me in the case of Canon, um, they have the EF mount and then the M mount for their previous mirrorless right. cameras that have been okay. And, and that it's not the end all be all, but it really stinks to have to use an adapter because <laughs> they oftentimes don't work super well. And that just means that, okay, well, if I'm going to actually make a full transition into a mirrorless setup that, that requires me selling off lenses, hopefully the camera system has a decent array of lenses at a reasonable price for that mount type or 
dealing with adapters, which I, it's okay. I, I actually have a little mirrorless Sony that I use and I have an adapter that's so slow that I just manually focus everything. But because of some of the other nice features that you find in a mirrorless camera, such as the electronic viewfinder, which has focus peaking and can show me what parts are in focus when I'm manually focusing, it's, it's less of a pain than if I were to be manually focusing just on a regular camera. But at the same time, it's, it's not a perfect fix for the problem. Right, right. Okay, so what about... Um, all right, so the lens mount is, is huge. And, and unfortunately, it sounds to me like... And, and this was part of my prediction from 20... See, 20 of 2018 in 2017. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah, they're going to... I I said uh, Canon's going to announce a mirrorless body, a full-frame mirrorless, or release even. Not just announce, but perhaps even release. But it will not... It'll have a proprietary or a new mount. Yeah. It won't be. It won't a even be M. Mount. It'll It'd be, be something mount. completely new. And that's, that's kind of still been maintained in the rumors, like even for the Nikon and Canon stuff. I mean, they're rumors, so we don't know for sure. But most of the rumors th- think, yeah, it's, they're going to have a, a unique mount for these things. So you, And then, of course, they'll probably provide an adapter, like you said. Um, so, yeah. okay, so that, that would be a big deal. Is there anything else? Like, are there features in a mirrorless body you really want? You know, battery life is always going to be an issue, especially because with an electronic viewfinder, um, well, the only way to see the photo that you're taking is by powering a screen, whether it's a tiny one right. or the your big screen on the back. So already your drain on battery power is going to be uh, a little bit more intensive than otherwise um, with an optical viewfinder, a non-mirrorless camera and SLR. But... On top of that, because they're usually part of the thing that they're trying to go after is a smaller build, a lighter build, the batteries end up being smaller on top of that. So I, I would like to see battery life. It doesn't have to be perfectly the same to me, but I, I have noticed, at least with up until the A7R3, Sony batteries have a tendency to die pretty right, quickly. Right. And I would love to see a camera that has battery life that's at least somewhere in the same vicinity of what my current system has. Uh, because if I'm just doing a, a single headshot session or something, it's not that big of a deal. But if I'm doing a, a high volume headshot session or shooting a wedding or something where I'm right. out and I'm shooting all day, it would stink to have to change my batteries every 45 minutes to an hour, um, which... Eh, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration from my Sony, but I, it seems a lot more frequent than if I'm shooting on my Canon that I'm having to change out those batteries. Okay, so Canon uh, Canon's probably coming out with theirs in October 2018, and so yeah. it's it's a few months out. Uh, Nikon's is is in August of August, but what would make you like in that announcement in October? What would they have to have as part of that announcement to make you want to switch and buy that mirrorless body? Um. I literally can't think of anything that would make me make a switch right now, especially because at least so far with Canon, their mirrorless system has been okay. It's it's not been bad by any stretch, but it's not the thing that I want to rely on as my main body. And I, the thing is, I would need to see something that could somehow make me feel like it can do so much more than what my current gear has. I'm not the kind of person to hop on new gear, especially not a brand new release of a camera that's right. a new system. I, I am the kind of person that I can wait a few years for the price to drop a little bit, for right. the kinks to get worked out, maybe even the second iteration of that camera to come out if, if 
I really have patience. I If I was to switch to a camera system right now, I think that I would probably switch to Sony because at least some of the third-party lenses are are supporting that E-mount lens finally. Right. Um, but even that, I'm holding off a little while longer for. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I've always been one who's... I'm constantly advocating like people seem to photographers seem to jump into that really quick. Like you, you get your first entry level DSLR, you kind of get bit by the bug. You're like, Ooh, I really like doing this. And then it's immediately like so fast jumping to, Oh, I got to go buy the top of the line full frame camera. Now I, that's yeah. like the only way I'm going to get really good pictures is I got to do that. And that's just not true. <laughs> you can do so many amazing things with even those entry-level DSLRs. You go buy the whatever the Rebel is right now or, or the, the lower-end Nikons. They're awesome cameras. They are incredible and so capable. And you can do so much with them that you don't need to go and upgrade to those bodies. I, I've, I mean, I've been doing this for a bit now. I still don't feel like my camera body, because I still shoot a crop sensor camera, uh, yeah. I don't feel like that's limiting me. Like, it's just not. It's me. It's my yeah. own skills. It's it's what I'm doing. I can do way more with lenses and lighting and composition. And we're going to talk about some of the things that mark your progression as a photographer in the second half of the show. But that's like, it's way more important than like buying the very latest gear. That's that's not going to guarantee anything by getting yeah. to the latest latest one. So I, I think that the main thing that I would need in order to hop into a new system would be money to burn. <laughs> if I had okay. nothing else that I needed to spend money on in my life, then sure, maybe I would do that. But but because I have gear that functions really well, it it would take a lot for me to even feel an itch to buy it. Right. Um it, it not it's not to say that I wouldn't I I don't want to be looking back at this in six months and saying like oh you fool Connor you didn't have any idea what they were coming <laughs> out with but but I just I really at this point don't see it being that big of an appeal that I'm gonna hop onto it right away well to some degree let's hope that it's that kind of announcement for Canon in October right? let's hope it's like you in October go oh my goodness I, that was something I didn't see coming that's something yeah. I didn't expect and and yeah that would actually really matter to me. That would be great if that's how it comes out. I just kind of doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be very surprised that there would have to be some technology that I am unaware of as existing in our our current lineup of cameras. Yeah. Okay. So as I've thought about this, there's kind of two features that are there already today in existing mirrorless cameras. That would be a really big deal to me. And, and yeah. I mean, not enough again that I, I'm not switching over. I mean, most of the barrier for me for switching is... I'm my situation being a hobbyist and this isn't like my main job. Uh, it, it would mean I have to sell all my gear first and be without a camera for a while until I sold it mm -hmm. all so that I'd have the funds to go and buy a new one. And I just don't want to do that. That's, that's painful. So, um, so that's the biggest barrier why I'm not switching to anything. Um, I, I think a lot of professionals or people where they, this is their business, it makes a lot more sense to like, put up the money and buy the other camera and then sell the other one off slowly or whatever it might be. Or it's already off the books. Like you've already, you already uh, had it come off the books and, and it's time to buy a new one and, and that works anyway. Um, but there's two features. And then like you already mentioned, the perfect mirrorless camera to me would have, it would need to equal the battery life on my DSLR. Like you'd said, yeah, that's a big deal to me. Um, when I go to shoot, 
most of the time I'm out there for a while. Like if it's my high school basketball stuff, it's like a whole basketball game. Or if it's shooting a family portrait, I'm spending a couple hours with the family taking photos in different settings and different poses and, and uh, try and make sure that, that we have enough shots that the family will be happy with the shoot. And today I don't really have to worry about changing my battery. And uh, you know, I did a test with the Sony A7R III in a bas- high school basketball game this last year, and I was worried at halftime, like, uh, I'm not going to get through this game with the batteries. And when I rented it, I only rented the one battery. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so so that that would be a really big deal to me. I just, I, today I don't, it's it's such good battery life, I don't have to think about it. And that's kind of the the thing. That's, that's what's a really big deal, is I, I'd really have to make sure that I have enough battery life to kind of make me not have to think about it. And, yeah. you know, maybe it would be there still today. I mean, like the Sony stuff's improved, like you said, but that would have to be be part of it. Um, another part of it would be autofocus. And, and initially, this was a real struggle with mirrorless bodies. The autofocus was slow, and, um, and that would be a problem for me. I leverage the autofocus like crazy. It's one of the features I like best in my 7D Mark II, my Canon 7D Mark II, is the autofocus is really fast. And I, yeah. I use it constantly in, in all of my shooting, uh, especially that high school basketball. That's a big deal. And, uh, and I really love that. And then the last one would be good at ergonomics. And uh, I don't know, this probably isn't a big deal for everybody, but I'm, I'm 6'2". I have like really big hands. And uh, the cameras, I, I've, I've held a number of mirrorless cameras, Fuji, Sony, Olympus. I, I've he- held a whole bunch of them. And they just, it, it feels like, it doesn't feel good in my hands. Maybe I'd get yeah. used to them. Maybe if I shot them more, I'd get used to them. But the ergonomics would be a big deal. And the Sony in particular, I had a hard time trying to do back button focus. It just, the button was really tough for me to to reach with my thumb on the back there. So that would be a big deal to me too. And the perfect mirrorless camera would have to address those things. But then the benefits, the, the, there's two primary benefits that I would look forward to. Uh, the first one is an electronic viewfinder. So I use histograms extensively in all types of shooting I do, whether it's landscape or the high school basketball or family portraits, or even just like in my living room, like my kids having a birthday party and I'm taking pictures. Yeah. Um, and I use the histogram all the time. The trouble is that unless you shoot in live view mode, um, with a mirrored camera, you can't see that histogram until you've taken the shot. So that's my normal kind of thing. It's, it's a bit awkward, but I take a shot and then I, I hit that play button to look at the photo I just took and then it'll bring up the histogram and I make adjustments. And so it'll take two or three shots to kind of dial in my settings. And I've, I've gotten better at it so that it doesn't take as long. But that histogram is so critical to me. It really helps me to get the exposure settings that I'm looking for. And when I did that rental of the A7R 3 and I shot the high basketball game it was so incredible to have that histogram right there in the electronic viewfinder i just loved that feature and that would that would help me so so much and and it's one of the things i'm really envious for and would love to have if i if i upgrade my camera ah boy i'd really have to look at mirrorless and i'm hoping that canon will really provide something big here um, or I may have to consider another brand, which should be fine. I'm not tied into Canon other than that barrier, like I talked about before. I don't, it, to sell everything off and then 
buy a new one, it's going to probably mean weeks without a camera. And I, that, yeah. I'm not looking forward to that. Okay. The other feature. So electronic viewfinder is my, my number one thing that I'd want to get out of mirrorless. The second thing would be um, that you don't have to worry about AFMA, which if people don't know what that is, it's, it stands for autofocus micro adjustment. And it's a big fancy word for talking about something where in a DSLR, because there's the mirror there when you're not taking a photo, that mirror is doing a lot of work. One, it's, it's reflecting light up to the viewfinder that you're looking through to take the picture. But it's also reflecting a little bit of that down to a focus sensor. And that's what's doing all of your autofocus. And it'd be really fast and it's pretty accurate. But that focus sensor is not the same thing as your imaging sensor where the focus is yeah. actually going to matter. And so those things can get like out of alignment. The focus sensor can be just like micro... It's called micro for a reason. It's this little bitty tiny bit off can mean that the autofocus is not just quite as sharp as it could be. And so, mm -hmm. so there's the ability to, uh, you can on, on most models, not every DSLR offers it, which is kind of insane to me since this is a problem all of them suffer from, but most models do offer a way for you to go through the menus and you can do the micro, fo fo micro focus adjustment or micro adjustment of the autofocus. There we go. It's a hard, it's a mouthful to say. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, and I did a photo taco on this too. If, if people, uh, want to learn more about that, you can go check them out. It's, uh, I have have two episodes, two photo taco episodes, one called AFMA explained, and then another one AFMA revisited. And I just found though over time, like I have to do this every six months or so. Um, and I've, I've tried it like within a month, I've tried it within a year. It, actually, almost every time I go and do the tests, I'm changing the settings where I was at. So I can't tell exactly how often it needs to be done. But things seem to be changing. I don't know if it's like as I'm moving my camera body around, as I'm toting it everywhere, as I'm moving it, that that things kind of move, that sensor gets moved a little bit. I don't know what's causing it, but every time I retest with my lenses, it's changed the value of what's the best setting for that AFMA has changed. Really? Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. And so, and, and it's, you have to, with every lens too, cause it's, it's very specific mm -hmm. to the lens and the focus sensor that you need. And, and then the imaging sensor that you need to, to kind of calibrate them all together. So you have to do this process for all of your lenses. And in, uh, I'm needing to do it every few months. I want to do it just to make sure I'm getting the best. And it's not to say, I mean, it's, we're talking about like maybe a 20% change or something in the number that I'm dialing in. But, uh, yeah. but that's still like, I want to make sure I'm getting the very sharpest stuff I can out of the autofocus. I want to give the autofocus the best chance I can. And this is just not even a worry with mirrorless cameras because they don't have this mirror in the way. They don't have to worry about uh, sending light off to a focus sensor. It's always going to the imaging sensor and the focus is done there or, or thereabouts in the, the whole process of getting light to the imaging sensor. The focus is involved with that. So this isn't even a problem on mirrorless cameras. So that would be a huge benefit to not have to worry about that as I'm going off to shoot. I, I actually, I've done enough testing of this now that almost every time I'm going to do like a family shoot in particular, family portraits, um, I'm thinking like, when was the last time I did that? Oh gosh, is it been, <laughs> has it been several months? Cause I, maybe it's going to be off and, and then I worry and then I come back and like, oh no, they're fine. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so weird because obviously I've, I've done micro adjustments on my cameras as well, but like it really doesn't change much at really? all. Um, it, you know, it does between each individual lens and I, I have to adjust for that, but I, I haven't 
I'll go back and do it every once in a while. And it's just never been any different. So I find that so weird that yours changes with time. Yeah. And maybe it's a difference between say the 70 Mark II and you're shooting the 5D3 still. Is that right? Um, I, I shoot a 5D2 and a 60 and for neither of those, oh, it's is an a problem. Issue. So maybe they yeah. built them a little stronger with those. I don't know. I don't know what, what yeah. to say. Or maybe I'm just like too picky and, <laughs> and I, I'm reading too much into the technology here. Um, so I, I don't know for sure. But regardless, it's just not even a worry with mirrorless. And that would be awesome to have. I would really love that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Excuse me. Okay, so Nikon mirrorless specs. Let's go through Canon. There's not nearly as much because um, the the most recent rumors are that they're they're not going to announce things for a little bit longer, like more uh-huh. like October 2018 timeframe. But Nikon's announcement is imminent, and of course that means there's more stuff leaked. I think the company purposely leaks some of this stuff out just to get oh, news, I think so and, too. and they they want to make sure that's there. But let's let's go over the technical specs real quick, and then we'll we'll move on to our next topic. Um, two new Nikon full frame cameras, which is interesting to me that you'd have two full frame. I could see one being. Um, one being a, a crop sensor and one being full frame, but two full yeah. frames is a, a little weird. Um, okay. So they, the rumor is that there's a Nikon Z6 and a Z7. And the Z6 is going to be high speed, low light with a 24 megapixel camera. So I guess 24 megapixels will mean each of the photo sites in the sensor are going to be bigger, catch more light, and therefore a better low light kind of performance. And then the Nikon Z7 is a more of a high resolution model, maybe a little slower um, at 45 megapixels. So... (laughs) (laughs) it's huge it is huge i cannot imagine wanting something that shoots files that are that size because man that just makes file management that much more difficult right fill up those uh those cards fill up the hard drives yeah those those are big that's a big big sensor and kind of it's just interesting it must mean that they're new sensors i'm guessing that this is not going to be like reused stuff because those specs don't seem to align with the stuff that's currently out there on the nikon cameras so That'll be interesting. Uh, Nikon is rumored to target compete directly with the Sony A7A7R lines, which makes a lot of sense. That's part of the rumors. Yeah. Uh, Sony's really kind of killing it right there with those those models. And a lot of people, a lot of DSLRs uh, owners are switching over to that. Similar body size to the A7 camera, but with better ergonomics and better grip which is part of the rumor. Yeah. So that's interesting because that speaks directly to kind of one of my concerns. I, I didn't like the ergonomics of the A7 when I, when I tested it. Uh, might be able to get used to it. It might, like I only had it for a weekend. So, you know, that is not all that long with the camera. But I, but, but I wasn't impressed. But seems to have a concern for ergonomics uh, in all of their products. I would say that out of any camera system that I've held, I think that Nikon does the best with ergonomics in making those kinds of considerations. So seeing something like that um, doesn't surprise me too right. much. And as far as the, the sensor goes, it do- doesn't Sony make Nikon's sensors? For most so, of the bodies, that's true. But Nikon has continued to make some sensors. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and, and we don't know. We don't know if this will be from Sony or not. And a lot of people have said, well... Yes, and Sony sensors end up in Nikon cameras. Sony obviously isn't going to give them their very latest stuff. They're going to keep that for themselves. So you may as well, if you like those sensors, you may as well buy a Sony because you'll get the very latest and greatest in a Sony versus the Sony sensors end up in Nikon. But I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's we'll see. We'll see how it comes out. If if Nikon made these or if Sony made these or what it is, whatever it is, it's probably different from what there is today in Nikon cameras. 
Yeah. All right. Next point said battery life is said to be worse than current Nikon cameras. Now, no mention of how much worse, but worse. And yeah, that's that's a concern for me. <laughs> uh, that's a big deal. The batteries is a big yeah. deal. Especially when like temperatures get cold, which I've done a lot of, I love going out oh, yeah. uh, like snowshoeing here in Utah during the winter, taking my camera with me. And if, if I have to change batteries every 15 or 20 minutes, that's not going to work. That would be a problem. No, that's, that definitely could be a problem. It, it really surprises me too, because I mean, truthfully, uh, for anybody that's held like an A7R3, I, I really don't think it's that much smaller than any any SLR that I've held uh-huh. a, a full frame SLR. So it seems weird to me that they're so concerned with size that they're willing to, to sacrifice that battery life. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you got to compensate with it with bigger batteries. If, if it's going to be eating that much more power because it's an electronic viewfinder, then you better give it a more power. You better have yeah, more totally. capacity. Yeah. All right. It says there is a chance that the new Nikon mirrorless cameras may be, may use existing DSLR batteries, which would be a problem then, right? That, that contributes. Those two things may be very linked together. Like there's just not capacity in the current yeah. Nikon batteries to feed a more hungry system. And, and that's, yeah. that's an issue. Um, okay. They think there's only one selection wheel on the top of the camera, which I don't know. That's probably okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine by me. Most likely no built-in flash, which a lot of professional cameras don't have a built-in flash. So that's that's probably not that big of a deal either. Uh, the new Nikon mirrorless camera will feature functions never introduced beforehand. And they're not sure if this applies to Nikon. Like the, this statement applies just to it will be something new to Nikon cameras or if it's something kind of more new to like all cameras, all mirrorless cameras, something that no mirrorless cameras had before. So that'll be super interesting when, when this gets real and actually gets announced, if there is such a feature like that, um, maybe like we said, Connor, maybe when Canon comes out with theirs, there's going to be something in there like this. That's just a totally new feature. That's not been on any Canon camera and it's going to be something you love that will, I hope that'd be great. I can't think of what that that would be, be, but that would, you know, that's why they pay smart people to go develop these products there. Right. (laughs) glass memory cards <laughs> glass <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't remember that, that was a weird poll from my brain that i remember seeing something that you can etch a ton of information oh onto right glass. right um so so and they're like super high speed for writing so right th- th- as a maybe. medium yeah yeah okay uh a second lcd screen on the top of the camera which i mean i think most nikons have that anyway so okay that's good yeah <laughs> <laughs> no word on Nikon APS-C or, or a crop sensor mirrorless camera. In fact, the rumors are that uh, it's it's only been full frame for the past nine months or so, this uh, Nikon rumor says. Um, yeah. BSI sensors, so um, new gen and tech with advanced AF. So whole new, new stuff. That, that's just another indicator that these are brand new sensors that have been made for this thing. Five axis in body stabilization. That is cool. That is something. Yeah, that's pretty dang yeah, cool. Yeah, that would be nice to have on uh, any of my DSLRs. That would be great. Nine frames per second, which is not too shabby, but short of, I think I have a 10 on my Canon 70 Mark II, um, but that's not, that's not far off. That's pretty good. That's certainly yeah. good enough for high school sports or any kind of high speed action. Uh, memory cards. So the rumor is XQD and CF Express. So no SD cards. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that would be, <laughs> that would be very interesting to see how that goes. 
and then the the sizes of those things and uh, i don't know that's that's an yeah. interesting thing uh, electronic viewfinder resolution 3.6 megapixels they're not sure if that's megapixels or millions of dots which is probably good. I, the, when I used the Sony, that was excellent. I I had heard so many people complain about that when I went and tested the A7R 3 and I, it wasn't an issue at all. That electronic viewfinder was great. Oh, yeah. Very good video AF features. Then the video AF could be different for the two mirrorless bodies. They're thinking that might be a differentiator between those two mirror, mirrorless bodies. Um, AF tracking ability, uh, the 45 megapixel version on par or better than the a7 models uh over 400 af points they're not sure about the number exactly but somewhere between 430 and 450 and the <laughs> af is supposed to be really fast um rear lcd screen is tiltable just like the d850 and that's cool that's nice yeah it, that's actually a uh, super useful it is it, and it would be even better if it was actually articulating so you could actually like take it out and swivel it around yeah um, i don't know why pros at least the camera camera manufacturers have thought pros didn't like that. I actually, yeah, I, I don't understand either. That would be nice because then you can get yeah all, all sorts of angles with it and still be able to see your screen. So, yeah, I don't understand I, why they thought that that was a pro feature. Was that the LCD is like locked in place? Like, why is that yeah. a pro feature? I don't, I don't get it. Um, they they've seen 8K listed in technical specifications, but they're not sure that they're getting the translation right. So, but at least 4K video. So. Hey, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a pretty good lineup of specs. Um, and if they do truly have one of those features there that is a, a differentiator, either at least among just the Nikon cameras or run a whole mirrorless industry, that's a big deal. And that's going to be very cool. So, But if they come out like this with these specs, yeah, that's a pretty decent release of the, uh, of the mirrorless bodies for Nikon. So... Yeah, totally. We'll see about price point as well. Right. That could um, vary that a lot still, especially since they're if they're going to be going with a new lens mount system, that means that they, they could potentially, if they don't have the right price point, they could potentially lose people that have been waiting for this to see before they made any kind of switch to mirrorless. Right. So I, I think that, that to me, it would make sense to try and be really competitive in the price range as well. Right. Yeah, the early was uh, the speculation they did have later on in the article over at, at Nikon Rumors. The speculation is four grand for the forty-five megapixel and three grand for the twenty-four megapixel. Eh, not bad. <laughs> yes, and that's compared with so the A7R three with a lens is uh, thirty-eight hundred, and the yeah. A7M three with a lens is uh, twenty-eight hundred. So that's uh. Yeah. And then there, there is speculation that it's going to be something called the Z mount. So a, a totally new mount for Nikon for this. And uh, I could see them needing this. They're, the, the existing E-mount that they've got is, uh, is dated and doesn't support. Well, anyway, I think they, they need it. I think for technical yeah. reasons, they need to have a new mount for this. So that's why I was confident with my prediction with Canon that they were going to have a new mount. <laughs> yeah. I think they need the same thing. <laughs> All right. So we have another topic to go through, but first I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor for this episode. And that is Squarespace. You can turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project 
Whether you're looking to start a new business, showcase your work, publish content, sell products, and more, Squarespace is the tool for you. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks, you can easily make a beautiful website by yourself. Squarespace's powerful e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online and analytics help you to grow your site in real time. Everything is optimized for mobile too, which is really, really important. You, uh, you don't, yep. it, most people are going to find you as a photographer starting out on their phone. They're not going to be at their computer looking for a photographer. Most of them are going to start out on their phone and you'd only get one chance to set that first impression. So having it look really good on mobile is so, so important these days. Uh, plus you don't ever have to patch anything or upgrade anything. Some other systems require you to do that, but you, you never have to with Squarespace. Buying domains is simple and you get the help you need with Squarespace's 24 by 7 award-winning customer support. Squarespace empowers millions of people from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants, gyms, and of course, photographers to turn great ideas into something real. Head to squarespace.com improve for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code improve to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com improve. The offer code is improve. All right, Squarespace. Uh, you, you love Squarespace, right, Connor? Oh yeah, it's it's. I have two websites now that I run that I set up through Squarespace, and it it's my favorite. Right, even enabling podcasts from one of them was no big deal. Yep, yep. So it's absolutely pretty powerful engine there, and really easy to use. So yeah, go check them out. Squarespace.com/improve. All right, our last our topic. It's going to take just a little bit, but I really love this. This this got my my uh, think. I really start making me think, and this is right yeah. along the lines of what we want to do here on the Master Photography Podcast. Um, I, I saw this article recently over at Petapixel. Love Petapixel. What a great uh, great website there for photographers to follow. And there's an article there by Mark Denny. He's a landscape photographer in North Carolina, and he outlined five signs that you're progressing as a photographer. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of go through that list, see if we agree, disagree, and what we think about his list, and maybe if there's anything we'd add or take away from the list. So yeah, let's start with number one. And anytime you have a list and you have number one, number two, number three, everyone assumes it's prioritized. I don't know if it is or not. Yeah, he didn't really order. say, but he's, you know, everyone assumes and I kind of am too. And, and so his number one was composition. And he says that you should be able to, to uh, look at your work and be able to say that you're creating consistently better composition now than last year or two years ago using concepts like the rule of third, repeating patterns, and layered elements. So Connor, what do you think? Is composition one of the five signs that you're improving as a photographer? I, I think attention to composition is definitely important. I, I would definitely think that that should be in the top five. At the same time, it seems like sometimes especially the fact that he listed like you're using concepts like rule of thirds repeating patterns and layered elements um i think that people can get too caught up in trying to follow rules and instead will actually kind of hinder themselves um in being so focused on that that they will take not take what would otherwise be a great photo because it doesn't follow one of those rules um i think in general improving composition is a good rule of thumb but i i also think that that one's hard to I, I think it's really hard to measure yourself by because realistically it's you just kind of have to look at it and say okay well sure I'm following the rules more often now but also in general the, the story isn't 
it's not something that I'm finding lots of distractions in my images right. from and things like that. Um, so I, I think that, yes, it's good, uh, a, a good rule to have in here. I think that that's a great sign to judge yourself by, but don't think that that is that the rules of composition are the only way in which you can improve compositions as you're going along. Okay. So I, I agree that composition is a pretty critical element of mastering photography. It's, it's one of the central things that kind of marks is a difference between say a snapshot from a phone and a professional shot. Now he's a landscape photographer. So he's thinking primarily about landscape with this and composition what role do you think that plays in, let's say, portraits, Connor? Um, I, I mean, I think that it takes a, it is a very important thing to have in your portrait work, depending on the kind of portrait work that you do. If, if you're doing headshots, your composition is going to be kind of um, yeah. bland in comparison to doing something that's kind of an environmental portrait. Um, so, so for me, I think that composition it it is important it's important to pay attention to the elements that you have in your frame and making sure that they are placed in a way that is the most appealing for what you think i think paying attention to composition um and having that be at the forefront while you're shooting in portraiture ends up being one of those things that is signifying that you're getting better because that means you're not overly focused on technical settings and things like that. You're, you're paying attention to the piece of art that you're creating more than getting caught up in the tools you are creating that art with. So it, it definitely still applies, but I think that it's a bit different than with landscape, as you said. Yeah. I, I also think, so while I agree, I think I agree this belongs on the list. This is something yeah. that you, that marks your progression as a photographer but I also think it's one of the hardest things to teach and to self-evaluate. It's it's really a struggle. It's it's hard to put it into words, like in an article. It's hard to make even audio like we're doing with our podcast. It's hard to make even video training, how it is that to, to make a photographer improve on their composition. I think all of that's kind of tough to do. That's maybe why it's hard to make it one of the things on the list because evaluating where you are with it is, it's not trivial. That's that's a little bit harder. I think the best, yeah. I think there's two things that can really help with this. The first one would be trying to find a workshop to go to where you can get some one-on-one time with an instructor who you think has has created a lot of really good po- uh, photos in, in the genre that you're interested in. If it's landscape, find a good landscape guy. If it's if it's portraits, go, find, go, go get with Connor. <laughs> go to one of his workshops. <laughs> shops, get one-on-one time with them so that he can help you. And and then you can see kind of as they're shooting, and that's a, a way more powerful kind of thing and, and have the ability to ask questions while you're there. If it's like, if it's a video that someone created, they're going to try really hard to, to teach you how, with, through that video, what it is they're looking at, but you don't really have the opportunity to say, I don't get it. What, what are you doing here? Or even doing it yourself, like being at the same scene, going to take the same photo and seeing the same things that they are. That's a very different experience than just seeing it through video or, or any of the other mediums to try to teach it. So it's, it's a tough thing to try to teach. Um, but it's, it's so helpful and, and it's something that, that would be good to make sure everyone's working on. I guess it is good. Uh, the other thing that would be good to do here would is, is having, um, having someone go through your photos with you. So getting them like critiqued, 
Um, that that yeah. can really help too. Then they can say things like, why did you choose the composition you did here? Was there, when you were there, because they weren't obviously, when you were there, did you have options to do this or that and change things? And and that can really help your, your mind think through it a lot better too. So having having those kinds of things to, to help you get there would be, would be a good thing. But I absolutely agree. Composition, a really, really important part. I don't know if it is a prioritized list and he didn't say whether it was or not. I don't know. Yeah. I'd put it number one, but um, yeah, I like it's it. It's high on my list. If, if I were to prioritize, I, I would put it pretty high up. I don't know if it's the first thing I would say, but I would put it pretty high on my list. Okay. All right. Number two in his article was histogram. And if this is prioritized, I would not put it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd even put it on the list really, but it does speak right to my nerdy little heart. <laughs> Yes, I, I, I love I mean, the histogram. You were saying that you use it a yeah, lot. I do. I love that histogram. It, it's a big, big deal to me. It's so big. I'd really like to get to Merrillis just to have it in more places. Uh, yeah. So, so it speaks to mine. But what do you think, Connor? What about histogram? I think this is a weird one to have on the list. His point seems to be mostly just that um, you understand how to look at a histogram and that that's a useful tool. But that, to me, that that just says you're using one part of this tool and you understand it and it's maybe a little bit more complex of a a character in your camera i i don't honestly use my histograms that much um i will use it sometimes if i'm worried because looking at my uh looking at my lcd it looks really far off i'll use my histogram to make sure that you know if i'm out in the sun or something like that and everything seems really underexposed and then i look at the histogram and see okay no it's actually fine that's the only time that i'll really use it otherwise i I kind of do everything just based on what my meter is telling me and and will occasionally just correct by looking at the photo itself if it feels like it's too hot or too too dark um but it it, to me this just doesn't seem like it's the top of my priority list or anywhere on probably probably even my top 10 things that show that you're progressing it's it's a good marker because it's saying that you have an understanding of what the histogram is doing but I, I, I just don't think that understanding a histogram is a sign that you're progressing as a photographer necessarily beyond the fact that, oh, okay, this is something that you will learn later on in using your tool or, or commit to memory later on in the same way that in post-processing, that's like saying that uh, using the curves panel is a sign that you're progressing in, in post-processing when maybe you like using levels instead. It, it, <laughs> right. Like, there's other ways to judge by this thing. And I think it's a weird way to mark progress. Okay. So I don't know. I'd make it number two on the list if it's prioritized. Yeah. I already said that, but is it one of the five? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'd have put it on there before seeing his article, but I do love using it. And the thing that it, it really uh, shows to me that a photographer is understanding kind of the whole the whole process the the capturing from beginning to end and post-processing i I guess one of the reasons i really like it is i am an absolute believer in shooting to the right and if you don't know what that is photo taco episode on shooting to the right ettr (laughs) exposed to the right is uh, i guess what most people call it and uh, it gets the most out of your sensor, which, I mean, I guess that's part of why I'm, I'm on the side of saying my crop sensor is good enough. I know what I have to do to make it so that I get the very most out of that sensor. 
and not everyone would, and you'd have more room in a full frame sensor so that you don't have to really understand those things. So I, I guess that's a part of the reason that I'm a proponent of saying the crop is fine. It's because I am yeah. doing some things and as I'm taking photos, I know what the strengths are of the camera. I know what the weaknesses are of the camera and I make sure that I'm choosing my exposure accordingly. And the histogram is one of the tools that's really, really critical for me to make those decisions and have that work well. So, so it's a, it's an indispensable tool for me. And I kind of agree with if someone knows what that means and if someone ha knows how to use that as a tool to making sure you're getting the right exposure adjustments, that speaks a lot to how much you understand all of the exposure things that you have, the shutter speed, the ISO, the aperture. Um, yeah. It speaks to a certain level of progression in your photography when you actually understand that instead of it being, I think he put it, it's a, let's see, a wavy tool of light, a wavy, oh, an obscure color chart. <laughs> instead of it being an obscure color chart, it has become a, a tool. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, not number two on my list. I would definitely wouldn't put it there. I'm not even sure it'd be top five if I, if I went through it and, and did it, but boy, does it, is it something helpful if you truly understand it? And I do have a photo taco podcast on this as well. It's called histogram explained. And if you, if you, if that thing is just an obscure color chart to you and it's not a tool, <laughs> then go check out that, that episode so you can understand it. It's funny. I, I almost wanted to have a debate with you about exposing to the right because I have with a full frame camera, I always shoot full frame now, uh, but I like to actually expose to the left yeah. just a little bit because I'm so worried about blowing out my highlights and I, I am not so worried about my shadows getting too blocked up. Uh huh. Well, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can have that talk another day. <laughs> well, let's, let's do yeah. that. <laughs> All right. Number three on his list lenses and he put it on here for a totally different reason than I was expecting. I was expecting yeah. it to be the case where a photographer has progressed to the point where they realize something that's impeding their image quality and affecting their image quality is the, the kit lens that they probably got with their camera, that that lens is just simply not good enough. The image quality from most kit lenses for a lot of shooting scenarios is is just barely adequate at best. <laughs> and you get massive improvement by getting better glass. I thought that's where he was gonna be. And when a photographer realizes that, like way more important than upgrading your body, like we've talked about a few times today, is the lenses. The lenses have far more to do with the image quality than the body that's behind it. Yeah. Um, and then, and more important than that is the photographer and dialing the right settings and taking the right composition. And, and we've talked about some of the things that are more important, but I thought that would be the angle he'd take. And instead his angle was on this, are you switching out your lenses in order to have the right lens to achieve your right vision? And so that, that's a really different take on it. So what do you think, Connor? Is, is that a big deal? Is that something you'd put on this top five of marking your uh, progressing in photography? I, I, I feel like this makes more of a difference or is a better sign of progression than um, using a histogram. <laughs> I, I still think that it seems... I, I feel like both the histogram and the lens choice is something that you could teach in a like photography 101 or 102 class and 
have a person understand why you would choose one thing over the other. I think that in that instance, the person understands in theory why you would use one or the other and wouldn't necessarily make all of those decisions right every single time. So, so yeah, it is a sign that you're progressing as a photographer. Um, at the same time, I, I think that this is a really important thing to understand and being able to make those kinds of decisions when you're in, when you're excited and in the heat of the moment and you still, and you realize like, you know what, I, the compression on this isn't quite right. And so even though I'm filling the frame just fine with this, I'd rather uh, back up and have less compression on it or, um, or more back up and have more compression on it from a further right, distance right. and so on and so forth. Like making those decisions when you're excited, it is a sign. So it's one of those things where it's like, I kind of agree, but I feel like it's more situational. Um, if you're in that kind of situation and you're able to, without thinking about it, make the decision that you need a longer focal length to get the thing that you're looking for. That's when it really shows progress to me. Okay. So yeah, I'm not sure I would have put this on the, on the top five. The other thing about real the image quality difference maybe would be a bigger deal to me than this but yeah but it, I do take his point that if if the lens choice like the focal length choice that you're making with a, a given lens is entering into the equation of all of the different things that you can control as a photographer in order to accomplish a vision and just having that transition at all, actually, of having a vision about how you want to create a photo of a specific scene, that's a big deal. That, that's a big mark in progression as a photographer, that you are creating photos instead of just capturing light, instead of just capturing uh, the scene yeah. in front of you. Because almost anyone can do that. They can take out their phone and they can capture the scene in front of them. And most of the smartphone cameras are doing such a good job with it that that's, that's really easy and you get a, a pretty decent photo out of it but going past that and getting to where you are planning out a shot you're coming to a scene in the golden hour for landscapes and you're you now are deliberately making a choice on what focal length you're going to use to achieve a specific vision oh that absolutely marks progression as a yeah. photographer and and knowing all of that so i guess in a roundabout way i'm agreeing with him um it just seemed a little <laughs> strange when i saw it on the list at first all right. Oh, I, and I thought the same thing as you. When, when I saw lenses, I thought you were gonna. I thought he was gonna say that it was all about realizing that better lenses make for better images, um, which is an overall thought that I think I would honestly probably put in place of the histogram thing is understanding <laughs> when you're actually limited by your gear and not just wanting to buy better gear because it's more expensive and the nicest and newest. I think that that is a real sign when you say, okay, I have this certain gear and these are limitations of it that are hindering me from being able to create in the way that I want to. That to me is, it kind of speaks to the whole idea of knowing what you want to do with your photography and creating that those images. Right. Um, so I, I, I was all on board when I saw it and then went, Oh, that's interesting. That's not the way I would have approached <laughs> right. this. And then uh, I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, that makes sense. We need to do a so. show where we have as many, uh, hopefully we could get all of us together. That would be cool. And we kind of come up with our top five where each one of us, like we'll pick a random order of who gets to go first and then, and yeah. what order, but all of us have to say the top thing that helps you with your photography and marks your progression. I like yeah, that. we should do that. That would be that'd be fun. Because I don't think it'd Watch be all of us I, come out and say the exact same thing. Well, you can't. Well, <laughs> that's why we'd have to do the random order. Because the first part, when, yeah. once something is on the list, you don't get to change it. So there you, you don't go. get to repeat <laughs> it. Okay. So uh, number four on his list, <laughs> and I would put this probably number one. 
This would yeah. this would be the the thing that would, I would put at the very top. But he he has lighting as number four, and he says you should be able to to be shooting in better lighting, and understand why you are doing so, which is a really key aspect to me. It's going to yeah. show extra texture and dimension of the things you're shooting. So Connor, tell me what do you think about lighting being on this list? You know what? I want you to guess what I think about lighting on this <laughs> list. Oh, I think you agree completely. And yeah, and it's number yeah, this one. Is, this is definitely my number one on on the list. Whether you're talking about artificial light or or um, ambient light, I, I think that understanding light is one of the most important things that we can do as photographers. And and. Yeah, I would put this absolutely at the top of my list because even even not having an understanding of how to to manipulate artificial light, I think that have, having an understanding of ambient light and the ways to get better photos by well using the light that you have around you or or seeing when the light is right for you if you're a landscape photographer, I think that is the biggest key towards taking great photos. If you understand light and you know how to use and manipulate light, it, it's cheating. It's taking average photos and just skyrocketing their quality because you understand. And and yeah, this is, this is the top of my list. I could um, babble in circles about how important this is, but I'll, I'll throw to you now, Jeff. Do you yeah. agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, Lighting is the very biggest thing that has kind of marked my own progression as a photographer. And I am still very, very new to it. I'm still learning so much about lighting. Part of it's, uh, you know, my, I, I do this as a hobby. So there's only a few hours a week I spend on this. And it, it would take me, I think, full time if I did nothing but it, I could spend months going through and figuring out lighting better and using, especially the artificial lighting with all the light modifiers yeah. that are available, all the different light sources that are available, all the different places you can put them. I, I could spend so much time on it and I don't feel like I have a good enough grasp on it to be able to figure out how to like exactly position everything and what modifiers I should use and so on to get my vision without trial and error today. I'd really like yeah. to get to a spot where I'm like, okay, I know this is what I want to shoot. That means this light has to go here. This one has to go here. And here's the modifiers I'm going to put on them. And then bang, it's there and it's, it's right. I I'm so far away from that. <laughs> I would love to get there, but boy, does that mark a good photographer. And, and that's what I think separates me from the guys that are truly great in the industry in teaching this stuff. They have that. They know exactly the lighting that they're going to use they know exactly how it's going to be positioned. And when someone asks them a question, they know exactly where to go with it. With me, it's more like trial and error and I'll get there, but it's going to take me more time. It's going to take me more test shots. <laughs> it's going to take uh, playing around with the lighting and, and I'd love to be better at it. So Jeff, we need to sit down and just workshop out your lighting then yeah because we could totally get you there with, without too much trouble yeah i'm sure that's true i just i need to spend time <laughs> on it that's that's the thing yeah that's how all of this is isn't yeah, it yeah it, it is you, you gotta it, it you just, gotta do it it takes time that's that's all absolutely what it is but it even the the little i know even the the little i'm doing with it has made a significant difference in my images. They are just totally different. And the post-processing is easier because you're getting it right in camera. It's a, it's a very, very cool thing. Lighting 
Lighting is a massive deal for your progression as a photographer. If you want to master your photography, you need to master light. That's that's like the critical thing. All the rest of this stuff is great and helpful. And I like a lot of the stuff we've talked about. And I do some of the stuff we've talked about. But this is number one. This is the, this is the thing. <laughs> totally. All right. His last one on his list, post-processing. So he says you should see yourself as a better post-processor now than you were two years ago. And uh, he also says it takes processing thousands of photos to really learn the tool and establish your own style. So Connor, would you put ah, easy for me to say (laughs) post-processing on the list? Yeah. Yeah. This, this would definitely be on my list. There's no question about it. Uh, I, I am always hesitant because sometimes people will think that, post-processing can make up for mediocre photos and similarly they'll think that great photos don't need post-processing i'm i'm somebody who says that you need both to really be great at what you're doing and it's something that everybody has their own style and and style is definitely in part a part of just what you don't know how to do or you don't know how to do differently the the things that you know how to do the way you know how to do them um influence the style in the way that you your images end up looking i have a a buddy of mine i don't want to say his name because i feel like he might be uh, embarrassed and and i know that he listens to the show but um for a long time he was always just he had a very like crunchy awesome look i i actually liked it a lot um but it was it was from his sharpening it was he always applied a heavy amount of sharpening and it was just enough where it didn't look overboard and I I just thought, you know, that's his style. That's the way that he likes to do stuff. It doesn't look so bad that it's overdone and like gross. It was just more than what I would say I would normally put on. And we were sitting down one day and he kind of brought up, oh yeah, by the way, like how do you sharpen? I I wasn't sure how you do that. And I showed him and he was like, oh, that's like way less than what I do. (laughs) And I said, yeah, you know, I've always noticed that you sharpen a lot. I thought you were doing that on purpose. Like I never thought to say anything because to me, it just seemed like your style. And he's like, no, it was just because I didn't know to not do it that way. So, so it's one of those things that I think that style is developed by not knowing things, but I think that you need to progress and play around with tools and develop, um, techniques that work for you and aren't just being done purely because you don't know how to do them differently. And, and that's something that should be changing over the years. I, I do things differently now than I did six months ago and do things then differently than I did the year before that and so on and so forth. I think that it's something that you can endlessly progress in and always change around and eventually you'll get bored and, and try things differently. So um, yes, Post-processing is definitely on my list. I don't know that, that any of that really applied perfectly to what we're talking no, about. No, no, it I think did. That that's something it to did. totally put on there. Okay, so this is another one that speaks to my nerdy little heart. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're on the computer doing a lot of work on the computer. And, and it's a part of that I really, really like. So to me, yeah. this is one that, that is absolutely true. And I, I liked your example there where you have two extremes. You have those that think they can take a poor, a poor photo in the camera and make it great in post-processing or vice versa. They can do a really good job in the camera and I don't even need to do post-processing. I I know there's a photographer who is really, uh, I don't know if you'd say famous, but he, he gets called on to do a lot of shoots for, uh, famous people actually. And that's his thing. He doesn't do any post-processing. It's not that he outsources it and he sends it off to somebody else. He just, he takes the he shot doesn't do and it. that's it. He, that's what he delivers to the customer. And it's amazing that he can create some shots that are, are good enough that they're not saying, well, this doesn't look finished. 
<laughs> because he yeah. hasn't post-processed it. So he's doing a super good job of the post-processing. But I think that's a mistake too. Like, well, your stuff could be so much better if you just apply just a little bit of post-processing yeah. even. Uh, that would be, ah, uh, you, you're missing out on an opportunity to me. And as I looked through his work too, I was like, oh, please, can I just have the raws so I can do a little adjustment here? Cause, <laughs> cause I, I think we could do a, a, a big thing there. Anyway, I think this is absolutely true. This is what, like when a photographer, maybe one of the things on the list here, or maybe it just goes along with post-processing is deciding to shoot raw instead of JPEG. Um, <clears throat> because you can do so much more in post with a raw file then, but it also means unless you shoot raw plus JPEG, you're not going to be able to do much with that photo until you have post-process it. And, uh, and that's yeah. a transition that photographers have to make. When you get your camera, it's configured to shoot JPEG. And it takes learning to know even how to change it so that it's shooting raw. And then you also have this consequence of now I have to go and edit it in, in Lightroom or Photoshop or a, a processor of some kind in order to actually share it and change it into a format that people can can consume since most people can't actually read a raw file. And uh, yeah. so anyway, I, I do think that that's a big deal. But it, it's, it kind of ties in with some of the other things we've talked about that transitioning from capturing a photo to having a vision and creating a photo and going to whatever shoot you're doing, landscape, portrait, whatever it is, and having a vision and knowing how to use all of the tools you've got to, to create that vision, knowing how you're going to use lighting, knowing how you're going to use your lens, knowing what you're going to do in post, all of those things. If you can get to the point where that's all coming together and that's part of you creating this photo, man, that is the mark of a really good photographer. That's someone that knows what they're, they're doing, whether you're pro or hobbyist, you know what you're doing if that's how you can approach photography. And, um, yeah. and that's, I'm, I'm still a work in progress there. I'm not claiming that I have all of that down, but do I have it down far better today than I did six, seven years ago when I first started and first picked up my camera. So I, I do think that most of these things are really helpful for self-evaluating whether you're making progress as a photographer. <coughs> Sorry, got a cough today. <laughs> all right. Um, let's see. So let's do our doodads of the week. Unless you have anything else you want to say about those five things, nope. Connor. That, that was a great summary that you had. Okay. There. Very good. All right. Let's go over our doodads of the week. And this week I'm going to go first and I'm picking, and it's a little painful for me to do. I'm picking the Apple <laughs> AirPods. They're 150 bucks, which is why it's Ugh. a little painful for me because I really, Apple just, I, in general, they overcharge for everything. And, um, I have tried all kinds of other in-ear Bluetooth headphones now, including the very popular <laughs> Zolo Kickstarter. It was Anchor had a Kickstarter for a, a brand of Bluetooth headphones called Zolo in-ear headphones. And I backed it and I got my set and I had problems with them from the get-go. Anyway, none of them worked well. So the, I've tried a lot of the less expensive kinds of brands for in-ear Bluetooth headphones. And they just, they don't work as well as the Apple ones. So they either fall out too easily, which is a really big problem with a lot of them. They fall out uh, or they disconnect frequently or they just don't hold a charge very well. And so I finally broke down and <laughs> I spent more on the less expensive options than it would have taken to just buy the Apple ones in the first place. 
And uh, <laughs> now I've kind of realized that, well, that was the best direction to go. So my recommendation, if you want in-ear Bluetooth headphones, and it's not just for iPhone. If you want to, they, they connect, they're just Bluetooth headphones, so they connect to anything. And uh, I think they're the best ones available, even though they're uh, 150 bucks. It just hurts. But, uh, but they're, they're the best ones. Um, for over-the-air Bluetooth headphones, I've made it my pick before. I still recommend the M-POW, that's M-P-O-W, H5 headphones. They're about 50 bucks on Amazon, and they're excellent. They're, they're very, very good if you want over-the-air. But if you want in-ear, then it's Apple AirPods. Oh, man. I, I wish that I had read your reasoning behind this because I so disagree. I For two-thirds the price, I have two pairs of wireless headphones that I absolutely love. Oh, good. And as such, it, it makes no problem as far as batteries go. I, I have my headphones in all of the time. My wife finds it annoying and like tells me to take them off whenever we're going places because I like wear them as if it is an, a crucial accessory in my life. <laughs> okay, what, what um, brand? What is it? I, I, I really love the Skullcandy method. Skullcandy, okay. Yeah. So if you're looking for ones that it's just the bud itself that sits in your ear, I, th- I think that I agree with you that the Apple AirPods are the best. This The method, they're great. It kind of has a plastic collar oh, that the, right. the bud's attached to. And I, I love it for being able to go on, on runs and whatnot. They never fall off. They're sweat resistant. They're I think they're meant for sport usage, but I use them nonstop all the time. And, and I absolutely love them. And I've bought two pairs for two-thirds the price of of your airpods there so that's that's my recommendation for headphones and you know what i'm just gonna make that my doodad this week <laughs> all right i feel like it's fun to have competing doodads sometimes very good yeah i, I right the the things with the neck in them i've actually had some others that i liked that too i was yes it was exactly the ones that have like no wires no not connecting to anything yeah. else they're just hanging out of your ears uh, if if that's what you want is just the ones that hang out of your ears, then the AirPods are don't don't waste money on the others. <laughs> They're just not good. Uh, no, no, th- I these agree are the with ones. You on that. All right. So the Skull Candy method wireless method Bluetooth, Bluetooth wireless. Okay, I see. They're about fifty bucks on Amazon. It looks like. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, that's gonna, that's it for the show today. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, just to remind you, uh, masterphotographypodcast.com is the new home for the show. So you're going to want to go there to check out the show notes. And if you have not ever gone there to see show notes, you might be missing out. We had a listener on the Facebook group this last week ask where they could actually see the show notes and because they assumed their podcatcher was showing them the, sh- the full show notes. And, and uh, when I gave them the link to those specific show notes, they went, oh my goodness, there's way more here than the podcatcher <laughs> shows. And yes, that's right. Most of them cut it off at like, I don't know, a thousand characters or something. It's not very much. Not very much of the... And we're the, wordy people. Yeah, the podcast, will sh- the show notes show up there. So y- if you like the show and you really want to see the full show notes, Go to masterphotographypodcast.com. Then there's the Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. Search for that in the Facebook group. Uh, you'll, we, you do have to ask to join the group. We're trying to keep the bots and the spammers out of there. We want to have only the listeners. So you do have to answer a question that uh, is the name of a host on the show. So Connor will work and Jeff will work and uh, we'll let you right in. If you don't answer the question, we won't let you in. That's just how it is going to be. So answer the question, put one of our names in there and then you'll, you'll be right in and you're missing out on a lot if you don't have that. You, Connor, why don't you tell everyone where they can find your work? 
Well, they can find me on Instagram at Connor Hibbs Photography, at my website, ConnorHibbs.Photography. And you can also follow our other podcast that Erica and I do at PortraitSessionPodcast.com. All right. And you can see my work at JSHarmanPhotos.com. You can follow my other podcast is Photo Taco, PhotoTacoPodcast.com. You can subscribe over there or um, I have full show notes of my shows there too and they're searchable. So if you have any Photo Taco topic, you should go search there and see if you can find any information on it. Um, and Facebook, I'm Harmon Jeff. On Twitter, I'm Harmon underscore Jeff. And Instagram, I'm at Harmon Jeff. So that's where you can find me. All right. With that, we're so gl- glad to have you all listening, and we'll see you all in another seven days. <laughs> <laughs>